You're listening to the TheoEd Podcast with your host, Janine Warrington. In our Big Ideas episodes, we have conversations with TheoEd speakers and dive deeper into the big ideas they presented in their TheoEd talks. Today, we're throwing back to an interview from 2018 in which the founding director of TheoEd, Ryan Bonfilio, talks with Dr. Shane Claiborne. In his talk, Resurrecting Church, Claiborne discusses challenges facing the church today, such as poverty and gun violence, and reflects on what the church is called to do in response. Here, he and Ryan dig deeper into this big idea. From the First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta, this is TheoEd Talks. I'm Ryan Bonfilio, and I'm here with Shane Claiborne an author, speaker, and activist, and co-founder of Red Letter Christians. Shane, it's so good to have you with us. Thrilled to be here, man. It's a great, great event. Glad to be a part of the fun. Great. Well, I just wanted to ask you a couple questions about your uh, TheoEd talk, Resurrecting Church. And I was, I was struck by the title, because typically the only things that resurrect or need resurrecting are things that are dead, or at least <laughs> on their deathbed. And so I wondered if you would just start by saying, like, what is it about the church today that, that's, that's dying or, 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 again, is in need of maybe some, some special care? Yeah, well, I, I mean, there's, there's certainly the, the big picture, but it, it, there's also the specificity to what happened to us in Philly where our community started in an abandoned Catholic building mm. where there were homeless families, moms yeah. and kids living there. So uh, it, it's kind of ironic that our vision for the church started in the ruins of this abandoned church mm. and... Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, as you, you kind of lean out from that, you see that, boy, young people are leaving the church in droves. There's a lot of uh, institutions that are hemorrhaging. You know, the biggest group of uh, religious folks in America is the nuns or yeah. the ex-evangelicals yeah. 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 or ex-Catholics. So I think we've, we've got some rethinking to do. Yeah. Um, but this is nothing new. And I think that's the idea of resurrections at the mm-hmm. heart of our faith. It's also um, true that every a uh, few centuries, yeah. the church gets in a funk, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, as some folks have said, we need a rummage sale. Yeah. We've got to get rid of the clutter yeah. and we've got to stay uh, uh, true to what uh, we know are the, the kind of treasures yeah. of our faith. Yeah, that's Phyllis Tickle who says every 500 years or so, the church goes through this rummage sale. And if you do the math, we're about due for one yeah, right about yeah. now. So I wonder, and this is a, this is a big question, but, but what does that new thing look like? Or what are some elements of that new thing? As the church and, and the body of Christ becomes resurrected and becomes this new thing in the 21st century, how will we recognize it? What well, are we about? Well, some of my friends, one, one of my friends, Chris Haw, he wrote a, a book about his own journey back to Catholicism. He said, you know, a couple of decades ago, it was like we were on a kayak, you know, we're down this wild r- river, you know, and he said, I realize that we're actually on a rowboat and we're, mm. we've got to look back mm. at, in order to move forward. And, and, and that's been true of us, that yeah. part of what yeah. happened is we realized the future of the church is in remembering our past. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're really inspired by the early church in the book of Acts, you know, where it says that all the Christians shared everything they had and they met. The, the church was really lived out of dinner tables and living rooms. It wasn't about mega church. It was mm. about micro church. And it was about really making the gospel uh, good news and accessible on the ground, not just uh, compartmentalizing yeah. it to a meeting on Sunday morning. Yeah. And that's a really powerful idea. I know in the ancient Near Eastern world, there was an idea that the future was always behind you. 
because mm. it gave this sense that, that you're always facing the past. You're moving towards the future, but the future is behind you. And I think so often in our world, we, just, we think of the future as being what's ahead of us. Right, uh, but right. there's so much about where we're headed that has to do with understanding where we came from. Yeah, and, for sure. And what for things sure. looked like before. Yeah. But I think at the beginning of that, too, is, is looking in the mirror and being honest about yeah. where we're at. Yeah. And where we're at is, is um, at least, I think, in, in the church in North America, it, there, there's some very troubling signs, especially... Yeah from white evangelicalism, yeah, which yeah. is what I was great, raised in here in the, you know, down mm -hmm. in Tennessee. And we've become known for some of the things that Jesus was very adamantly against. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes evangelicals have become more known for what we're against than what we're for yeah, and yeah. Uh, more for who we've excluded than who we've embraced. And so yeah. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit tonight. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that brings me to another question. There's, I'm sure you've heard of it before, but there's this well-known quip about religion, that it's there to comfort the afflicted, but mm. also to afflict the comfortable. And I wondered, especially if that latter half, the, the idea that religion is there and, and the gospel and Jesus is there to afflict the comfortable, how does that resonate with your sense of the, the revolutionary nature of what the gospel ought to be and do to us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I look at the gospels and uh, Jesus saying things like uh, the kingdom of God is, is like this, you know, the mighty are cast into thrones, the lowly are lifted up, the mm. last are first, the first yeah. are last. You know, this uh, uh, Jesus says to the uh, religious elite, he says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes yeah. are entering the kingdom ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. You're like, whoa. <laughs> but I'm a preacher. wonder why you got in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, 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 and I, I think of... Uh, uh, Joan Chittister, she said, Jesus consistently includes the excluded and challenges the mm. chosen, mm. right? So whenever mm. we think we are the yeah, hub yeah. of everything God's doing in the world, we better uh, be cautious because that's the self-righteousness that's so toxic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when we think someone else is, um, you know, they, oh, God could never use them. We better be careful, you know. Uh, we like to say, you know, uh, God, there's an Old Testament story where God spoke through a donkey, and uh, we say, <laughs> God spoke to Balaam through his ass, and God's been speaking <laughs> through asses ever since, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's an amazing part of, uh, of the New Testament, too, that, that I think it feels that, that the parables, that part of what Jesus is up to in those parables is, is to kind of, to draw us in. Like, you know, I think yeah. we feel... Like we expect the story to end up where we're the we're the good guys, you know, mm -hmm. we're the heroes. But so often those those parables are meant to turn things on its head, and, oh, and we're like we're the ones over. being convicted totally. and challenged in yeah. those stories. I mean, so many stories, almost all of them, they they have that element of it doesn't get any better than the, the Good Samaritan, you know, where it's all the religious folks that are ignoring the person that's got yeah, beat yeah, up in the yeah. ditch. And I always say maybe they were late to a church board meeting or something, <laughs> but they, they walk to the other side, they keep going. And the Samaritan, who by every means was a social outcast, yeah, uh, yeah. didn't believe all the right theology, was a mixed uh, race and ethnicity. So it was stigmatized in so many ways. And yeah. this is the hero of the story. Yeah. yeah. And so, Lexi, I was going to ask you about the Good Samaritan anyway, so I'm glad you brought it up. You know, that, that's a classic story in the Gospel of Luke, and so often I've heard it taught and preached on where, of course, the, the lesson is, well, be, we need to all be more like the Good Samaritan in that we need to stop and aid the person on the side of the road. And that's, that's a beautiful and transformative message, but you know, I'm reminded of uh, how Martin Luther King Jr., talked about that passage and he said right. it's one thing to keep pulling up to be the good samaritan and help the person on the side of the road but at some point we also have to start thinking what's going on with the road to jericho yeah that keeps leaving people 
in the ditch. How does, especially what Martin Luther King Jr. does with that, how does that resonate with your sense of, of how to approach poverty and other issues in the world today? Oh, yeah. Well, I think we're very good at, often in the church at, uh, at the work of compassion or charity mm -hmm. or lifting people out of the ditch, but it's a whole another thing to say we need to uh, rethink this whole road to Jericho. We got to ask why people are landing yeah. in the ditch. We got to uh, take the, the the foot off their neck that's holding yeah. them down, you know. And and uh, uh, so that that's that's very much I think of the role that the church has been all through history at its hmm. best hmm. is interrupting these patterns of injustice. And yeah. what a great parable for our time. I mean, it's a parable of violence too. Yeah. Someone that is a victim of that's violence right. and. Um, scholars say the two ways you could identify the person beat up were ripped from them. Their clothing, they're left um, naked, naked, and they're yeah. left unconscious. So yeah. you couldn't tell by their language or dialect. And the point being, like, this is a human being yeah. that matters to God. Wow. And uh, we don't know their sexual identity. Yeah. We don't know their religion. So I think that's a, it's an amazing parable. And it's also an invitation to say... Um, what what is landing people in the ditch? Because yeah. uh, we we can't just keep uh, offering pr prayers and condolences around gun violence. Like oh, we we sure. need to get up off our knees sure. and do something about it too. You That's know, right. when people say prayer, you know, all we can do is pray. I think they're lying sometimes because we, <laughs> we need to pray. Yeah. But there's yeah. there's often a whole lot of other things we can do too. Yeah, but that whole lot of other things though, it's hard. It's hard work, right? Yeah. So that road to Jericho work, it's long. It's hard. It requires us not just sending money. Or, or giving a gift right, that usually right. requires us to show up and get our hands dirty and be invested and involved in community in an in incarnational way. I mean, that's challenging, right? It, that, yeah, that, yeah. that means that we have to change uh, in order to really engage these issues of, of oppression. Absolutely. And we got to walk on the streets where people yeah, still get yeah, beat up. Yeah, yeah. And part of what's happened in our world huh. is we've moved away from those neighborhoods mm -hmm. or those streets. Sure. Like uh, everything's pulling us away from the suffering. But the, one of the things that's so central to Jesus is just as this whole world is kind of moving us away from the suffering of the world, Jesus is moving us towards it. Mm. Jesus is moving us towards the ditch, mm -hmm. towards those who have been uh, suffered the brunt of oppression yeah, yeah, yeah. and injustice. And uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I heard a preacher once say, if we find ourselves climbing the ladder of success and upward mobility, we should be care careful or else on our way up, we'll pass Jesus on his way down. <laughs> the whole story is about God it leaving is. the comfort of heaven and being born a refugee yeah. and dying on a cross. So yeah. that's, that's what we're called to follow. Because Jesus is always on that long journey to the cross. And yeah. that's where, you know, I, of course, that's where we encounter the Good Samaritan story is in Jesus' own road to Jerusalem and to cross and right, to death right. and, and to suffering. And, and so that's, it's an important reminder uh, about how that works in Christianity. Yeah. Um, so let me, so you are, of course, many people know you from your books. You've written, I think, eight books or so. I've lost I track, but there's, there's a number of yeah. them. You're, you speak uh, all over the world in, in ways, but you're not just an author. You're not just a speaker. You're, you're an activist. You, you are, you're embedded and involved in communities. And, and many times that means that you are protesting issues of injustice on, mm -hmm. on a wide range of things. And so I wondered, because it seems that and I think this is a good trend in many ways, that, that the idea of social protest is growing. There's more and more energy and interest behind it, especially in younger generations. What for you, what makes a good protest? What, is it, mm. what does it do? What, why, why is that a way, or, and I know not the only way, but why is that a way um, that would make sense for a Christian to respond to issues mm. of injustice? Well, I, I want to just rewind just a little bit and say part of what fueled my passion um, 
to get in the streets and to protest and to do something about why people keep ending up in the ditch is, is that what starts as compassion and relationship mm. often mm -hmm. creates a fire in our bones mm. where like when, when um, gun violence isn't just an issue to debate, but when I can literally walk you through our neighborhood and tell you the stories of people killed on every yeah. single corner, like you start to go, we want to know where the guns are coming from, yeah. you know, and we want to do something about this plaguing uh, violence, yeah. plaguing our neighborhoods. So um, I, I like to think of some of, of the policy stuff as an extension of like loving our neighbor as ourself, mm. like loving my mm. neighbor as myself means giving people food, but it also means asking why people are hungry to begin yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, and so Martin Luther King, who's been an incredible teacher uh, when it comes to public witness and, and prophetic actions, uh, he used to say uh, essentially that good protest, what it does is it makes, uh, it exposes injustice mm. and makes it so uncomfortable that people can't help but respond. Yeah. Um, and when you see people being squirted with water hoses or dogs jumping on people or folks being, um, they're, they're grieving, being met by militarized police and those things, what it does is it begins to really expose yeah. like those dynamics of power. Um, so we, we've been doing a lot of different forms mm. of that, you know, part of what we've been doing and I'll, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but you know, <laughs> we've, we've been taking, um, semi-automatic assault rifles and we, we've been melting them down yeah. publicly and we've done them with victims of violence. We've done them with hunters mm. that are still against AK-47s mm. on our streets. We've done them with mm. police officers, you know, and there's something powerful about that um, public lament yeah, that something sure. is wrong. Um, yeah. So I think it, it really, we're, we're going for people's hearts and, and, and I also think that we're not, when we, we, we don't say we're protesting as much as we're protestifying, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're proclaiming <laughs> that it doesn't have to be yeah. this way. Oh, um, interesting, yeah. That another world is possible yeah, yeah, and it yeah. begins with us. And yeah. that's that beautiful image of beating swords into plows. It yeah. actually begins with people. It, it's not the politicians that, that uh, change things. Yeah. It's the people that beat their weapons into tools. And that's, that's what we're really trying to do is saying change begins with us. Yeah. And that's a beautiful picture because it seems that protest isn't just about wagging your finger at something that's wrong, but it's rather it's about prompting imagination mm -hmm. to imagine some other reality, to, for, for God to do something different, for this world to somehow be different in a transformative way. And, and a lot of times, and, and I've heard you say this before, that it's, it's kind of our lack of imagination for how things could be better. That's, right. that's one of our greatest obstacles. We have very little tolerance for it. You yeah. know, when someone kneels during the national anthem, you know, yeah. Kaepernick or what, we, yeah. we go, whoa, what was yeah. it? Very respectful, but this yeah. is not normal. And, sure. it, and that's exactly what he's doing, saying yeah. we're, we, we can't just go on with normal. Normal mm. is not working, which mm -hmm. is why some of the great, we remember Martin Luther King is a great, you know, icon of America, but like he was very unpopular. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he said the giant triplets of evil in America are racism, materialism, and militarism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he called some things out. Yeah. And at one point people said, you're maladjusted. And he goes, darn right I'm maladjusted. <laughs> We've become way too adjusted to racism and inequity and violence. Sure. Like we need some maladjusted people in the yeah. world right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And I just think that's who the prophets were in the mm. Old Testament. They, they were maladjusted people. They were unpopular people who, were, who wanted to hold up a mirror to the mm. world about issues of, of, of injustice and, and particularly around poverty and economic oppression and violence. It's, I mean, it's, all, it, it's, it's there so prominently in those pages. But so it's amazing to me as a church and as Christians, 
we can often spiritualize the prophets mm -hmm. and say that all they really wanted was for us to love Jesus. Well, yeah. maybe they wanted that too, but they were dealing with real contextual issues in their day that, had to, that are not unlike what we see yeah. in our community. They got killed. They yeah, went to jail. Right. People hated yeah. them. That's why you know, Jesus goes, woe to you when people speak well of you. That's how they treated <laughs> the false prophets. You know? So you're like, well, you know, if, we're not, if we're not stirring something up, we probably aren't saying anything that challenges the status quo. And I love that scripture that says we're not to conform to this world, yeah. but uh, to be transformed. And then it says by the renewing of our mind, yeah. you know, we're really yeah. to have a new imagination. And so I think it's old Bobby Kennedy said, uh, some people see the world as it is and say, why? And there's other people that imagine the world as it could be and say, why not? Yeah. And that's the kind of people I think we need right now. Yeah. Well, it's hard work, this, the work that you're describing, the work that you do, the work that the, the gospel and the prophets call us to. Um, I'm wondering kind of on the flip side of that, you're engaged every day of your life with uh, with important, grave, heavy issues. You, you see suffering firsthand in many ways. How in all of that do you, do you nurture your own soul? How do you kind of get renewed mm. and, and, and encouraged and supported so that you feel like you can go out and, and do that work? What does that look like for you? Well, one of my mentors, it's, uh, he must be 70-something now. He, I've heard him ask, how do you sustain your, your faith and your, your resilience? Mm -hmm. You know, just, Sometimes it doesn't look like things are getting better. And he said, every morning I crawl in a little ball and I listen <laughs> to Jesus whisper to me how much he loves me. Hmm. And I think it, part of it really hmm. does begin there. And, yeah. and we, because we're also remembering what Jesus endured. Yeah. And yet even as he's being executed brutally in the most yeah. humiliating, torturous way, he, he dies with grace on his lips and he cries out for forgiveness yeah. for the people that are killing him. And so um, that changes us or yeah, it should yeah, change yeah. us, you know. And, and, uh, and I think the other thing I would say is that, that community has been so critical for everything that we do. Like, mm. um, and, 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 and the way that I describe community is what we're doing is surrounding ourselves with the kind of people we want to be. Mm. People that remind us of Jesus mm. and and just as we kind of learn as peer pressure is a bad thing as a teenager, like it can also be a really good thing yeah, when we create sure. a critical mass. So if you want to be more courageous, yeah. you hang out with courageous people yeah. and they rub off hmm. on you. You want to be more generous, you hang out with generous people. Hmm. You want to be more narcissistic than you, you know, hang out with self-centered people and watch the Kardashians a lot and it'll rub <laughs> off on you, you know. But I think like yeah. that's that's what Christian community is really about. I think yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bunch of us that want to be more like Jesus and we help each other get closer. Yeah, so it's really in an embedded sense of, an incarnational sense of spirituality that we're, that we're not these lone ranger uh, fighters against right. injustice, but that, that all of this work emerges out of a community of support and, and shared exactly interest. what Jesus yeah. said, right? Yeah. Like where two or three of you gather, I'm with you. He yeah. sends the disciples out in pairs. He models that community. So uh, it's, it's a communal calling uh, just yeah. as much as it's a radical calling, you know, and, and uh, part of the good news is we're not alone in the world, you yeah. know, yeah. So it's been about, I think, 12 years since you first wrote Irresistible Revolution, a book okay, that, yeah. that really began to, to catalyze for many Christians um, the idea that, that their faith commitment calls them into walking with the poor and, op and the oppressed. And no doubt you've done a ton in those 12 years and have lived and worked uh, with, with those who've suffered. How, I'm curious about how maybe your ideas about what it looks like for the church and for Christians to care about the oppressed and the poor. How has that changed in those 12 years since Irresistible Revolution first came out? Well, I, I, what, I've, what I would say I've seen is 
the value uh, in making injustice personal, hmm. that we're not going to argue people into thinking differently. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they, we have to story them in. We've got to hmm. re- build relationships that make immigration personal, hmm. that make gun violence hmm. personal. And it's those things that really move us. So yeah. I, I do less and less debating theology, and I do yeah. more and more like saying, hey, I want you to meet my friend, you know, hmm. Alejandra. You know, yeah. I, you, you need to hear her story. And yeah. I think you'll think differently about immigration, you know, or whatever. So I yeah. think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where I really begin. Even even in the first book, though, I tell a lot of stories. Um, I, I would say that, that part of the framework I found really helpful is this idea of a consistent life ethic um, hmm. that what's at stake right now are our lives. Yeah. And we've come to think of pro-life with a very narrow lens, hmm. you know, that it's sure. anti-abortion. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, maybe it'd be better to say pro-birth, you know, mm-hmm. but like to me, pro-life means I, I care about life from the yeah. womb to the tomb. You know, yeah. I, I, I want, yeah. so uh, the movement for black mm-hmm. lives, gun violence, the death penalty, war, like immigration, these are all, life issues yeah. too um yeah <laughs> one thing that we say in our community is that america may be one of the only places that you can be pro-guns pro-death penalty pro-war and still say you're pro-life, yeah, pro-life. Yeah. That's right. yeah. and not see the, the, the maybe the, the tensions and in or inherent contradictions in right right so yeah. so yeah that but you know many traditions and you look at the early church and this is part of what inspires me yeah. as i look back for the first few hundred years had this very consistent ethic of life yeah. and they spoke out against death and mm-hmm. violence and every I- iteration mm-hmm. it had and in, which included abortion but it yeah. also included the gladiatorial games sure. it included yeah. military service so all those things you know the death penalty were all a part of their ethic and value of life and the pope's been a really beautiful yeah. light for that and other traditions Absolutely. so yeah well one last question so it for for many christians who are are thinking the way you think and are really wanting to to begin to live more consistently, to live out this radical ethic of care for the oppressed and the poor, um, it can seem overwhelming, right? There's so many issues. The issues are big. Uh, I'm wondering if what is what is one piece of advice mm-hmm. you would give to a Christian who says, "Okay, I'm, I'm I want to start living differently. I want to start embodying this gospel call in my life in a different way." But the problems are so big. What What do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly true that one of the, I'm not a big runner, uh, but I'm trying to be. And they say <laughs> the hardest part about running a marathon is not getting to the finish line, it's getting to the starting line. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and I think the first steps are, so all I would say is like, the beginning part is really leaning in hmm. to the suffering sure. of the world and beginning to build relationships with folks yeah. who have suffered deeply yeah, yeah. about these things. So I'm less interested in people caring about issues. I'm more interested in people mm. caring about people, mm. you know, and, and, yeah. and really, uh, so I, I think that begins when our relationships change and, and I, cause I think our biggest challenge in the church and maybe even in the world is, is not a compassion problem, but it's a relationship problem. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not that we don't care about people. We, we just often don't know them. Yeah. So we talk about Muslims or immigrants or whoever, uh, like gay and lesbian folks in a very abstract sense. Yeah. Um, but when those things become personal, we talk differently, mm. and it also affects us differently. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's great, Shane. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to have this conversation for you, and thanks so much for being a part of TheoEd Talk. Absolutely. We hope this conversation has sparked some big ideas in our listeners. If you have suggestions for future TheoEd brief talks or big ideas, visit our website at theoed.com 
T-H-E-O-E-D dot com to submit your suggestions.